Ukraine Calling. Hello and welcome to Ukraine Calling, the English language podcast from Hromadske Radio in Kiev. I'm Andrei Kulikov and our interviewee is Anastasia Nastastanko, a famous frontline reporter and once the editor-in-chief of one of the most reputable Ukrainian online media, Romatsky.ua. No organizational connection between Romatsky.ua and Romatsky Radio, but we started almost simultaneously back in 2013, and where our philosophy is concerned, we are rather close. When Russia unleashed the full-scale invasion of Ukraine, Nastya went within days to the front line. Mind you, sometime before this, Ms. Stanko resigned from her editorial position, mostly in order to concentrate on her family duties. In any case, people who resign from editorial positions rarely go back to field work. However, Nastya did this. What was the reason? Uh, not only from editorial position, but from journalism, uh, because I was uh, I was too tired from everything. Because you know, if you working on the independent media in Ukraine, uh, especially when it was before war, it's uh, very hard to try to find money for this independent media to uh, to do your job. Uh, to find people for all the salaries uh, which are not very big in Ukrainian journalism if it's uh, independent media in Ukraine. And um, at that time I had uh, half a year old son and I decided that uh, it's too much for me to be editor-in-chief, to be a, a young mother of such a small boy, and I should uh, um, make a choice what I want to do. And that's why I decided uh, uh, to be just a mother. And why I decided to come back, because uh, that time at Hromaiske, where I was editor-in-chief, we didn't have uh, journalists who have this uh, experience uh, experience of frontline journalism or frontline correspondence. And I understood that time that uh, I should help in some way. You know, I think that many Ukrainians had this feeling when the, the full-scale invasion started. What I can do, what especially I can do, what I can do in the best way. And my only one decision was I should go to the front line because front line can be everywhere. And I have some experience from 2014-15 and I can do this. And that's all. Uh, I came to Hromatska two days before the full-scale invasion. I understood the time that it will happen and said that uh, you can call me and I will stay in Kiev and I will do everything I can. And that's all. It was only like uh, one decision <laughs> for me. Uh, I I couldn't think about uh, something else. You know, it's like the best what you can do in, in, the, in this situation. And that's all. However, the first uh, video report from Nastya Stanko that I saw during the 
Russian onslaught of 2022 was from Kiev, not from the front line. But the conditions there were pretty much dangerous and uh, undecided. Uh, the Russians were bombarding Kiev with uh, uh, missiles, and uh, I was broadcasting from my uh, kitchen in uh, one of the districts of Kiev uh, because we had to evacuate our offices in downtown Kiev. And I wanted to go there, but I was still hesitant about whether I should. And then suddenly on the net, I see Nastya Stanko, who stands in Khrushchev Street, that's the very heart of Kyiv, and she just says and tells us what she sees around. What prompted you to go there? For me, it was like normal, obvious uh, journalism decision that uh, because um, 24th of February, I took my son, my husband, my two cats to Ivano-Frankivsk, where my parents live, where I was born, and uh, we were there in the evening. And next day, 25th of February, we decided with my husband that we should go back and I should work as a journalist. And um, my husband just to help me with everything. And it was our decision. We, Our son stayed in my parents' house, and uh, 26, because uh, this report, uh, what you are talking about, it was uh, on 26th of February, was made, and uh, uh, 26th of February, uh, we came to Hromatsky office, nobody was there, it's on the center of the Kiev, and we took our helmet and other stuff, and uh, just by food, because all this, um, uh, residential building. I mean, all these buildings um, in um, in the center, where is the president' office, uh, uh, parliament, and other buildings were um, blocked, and uh, we were going just more than one hour or something like this to Khrushchev, and it was normal decision for me just to show what's happened in reality because many people in social media, in, on the internet, they even couldn't understand what's happened in the capital because many fakes, many like trolls, many disinformation and people just couldn't imagine what's happening. This is normal situation or no, uh, maybe some Russian soldiers are already somewhere in, in, the, in Kyiv or what. And for me it was uh, the main thing to show how it looks like, like the main street in the in in, in the country, because Khrushchev it's a main street in the uh, in the capital, and that's why it's it's we can say that in the country. But you know, yeah, the, my report was like everything is okay. Uh, even um, you can receive some cash from uh, ATM. Uh, and uh, nothing bad is happening. But after I um, uh, finished my, my reporting, we heard the shelling. And after we tried to hire somewhere in the metro, but metro was closed, uh, Metro Khrushchev and after Metro Maidan Zelezhnosti. And after we tried to find the, some entry 
to another metro station, Zolotiv Vorota, like Golden Gate. And everything was closed and it was so scary. And we saw the police cars, many police cars, uh, which runs like run somewhere. And we, we thought, oh my God, what's happened? And yes, the situation always changed that time. And you say, yeah, it's, it was in front line, but that uh, couple of first days, you even couldn't understand sometimes where is the front line. Because it's everything, every every time it changed, it it was changed. Uh, I will soon ask you about your first uh, tour of duty to the front line. But before this, on the first day of the Russian full-scale invasion, I got a call from uh, Indian colleagues who asked me, what are you going to do now that the city of Kiev is in enemy's hands? <laughs> that was the idea in many parts of the world at that time. Since mm -hmm. you speak English and since you are rather well-known in some uh, journalistic circles abroad, have you talked to foreign colleagues at the very start of the invasion and what they were asking? Of course. Uh, but, you know, it was uh, such a difficult time when... I think I I did everything, you know. I talked with uh, foreign correspondents, and maybe I received I don't know that time uh, five or six uh, questions per day, like write an article, uh, give us opinion, can you um, like um, make some interview with Fox? And I did this at like four a.m., three a.m. in the morning. I remember this, like what's happened. What do you think about everything? And yeah, I, I did this. What I was talking to them that uh, we need help. Uh, I think it's uh, it's um, a little bit strange, you know, um, when you as a journalist try always in your career to be like objective, to be honest, to just do your job. But for uh, for me at that time was the most important like we need help financial help but but this the most was important. honest Nastya. this was honest. yes of course of course it was honest but i mean it was not uh, maybe it was not so professional as a journalist but it was uh, yeah it was honest you're absolutely right and uh, i asked for for help for ammunition also because that time we were scared and understand that we we, we will not uh, like win, we will not survive without this help. Uh, as Nastya Stonko mentioned, she had, a, and I would add, a vast and deep experience of working on the front line, gained even before the full-scale Russian invasion in the years when we, at least some people in Ukraine, avoided to call the war, the war, but she knew well what it was. However, how different was your first uh, tour of duty to the front line during this phase of the war from what you witnessed back in 2014-2015? Andre, you know, yeah, the difference is that war now is everywhere and you can't hire anywhere from this war. I mean, when uh, in 2014, for example, or 15, uh, I was going to the front line in uh, Avdi near Avdiivka, I understood that, okay, it's a dangerous place now, 
but um, we will be here for two or three hours and after we will go back for five kilometers and, and we will be in safe place you know now it's absolutely not like this if you are on some i don't know positions uh, of uh, ukrainian army 20 kilometers from the front line uh, on some I don't know, um, a point of a battalion or something like this, you are in danger, absolutely. And you are everywhere in danger. And that's why um, you feel so tired all the time because, you know, you don't have this feeling of safety anywhere. And that's why it's, it's, it's very tiring. It's very stressful. This is the first thing. Another thing that... Uh, you see all the time death. For example, you are asking me about the, my first frontline uh, uh, trip. It was to Kharkiv. And I remembered also that that time I asked some soldiers, can I go from Kiev to Kharkiv just by the same road as we always uh, uh, going uh, from like it's Kharkiv roadway, you know, because I thought maybe somewhere the Russian soldiers, maybe somewhere uh, destroyed bridges, and you know you you can't even imagine it is the road is uh, uh, more or less safety for you. This has changed everything, and we decided even we were there on this trip for a couple of days but we decided not even stay in Kharkiv for the night because it was too too dangerous because selling was everywhere in all the district of Kharkiv and it was March it was so cold I remember and we didn't see people on the streets and for me the most scariest moment always uh, when I walk in somewhere if you can't see people on the streets, if you can't see people in, on the streets, it means it means that something wrong has happened here, and it's not the good place to to be to stay. Now, many people who are watching uh, Ukrainian television or other channels uh, say that there's a considerably bigger proportion of uh, women reporters during this phase of the war. How do you explain this? I mean, frontline reporters, not just any reporter. I will add not only women reporters, but young women reporters. Uh, reporters who are mostly the age of 25, something like this. For me, it's uh, very young women reporters. Um, because I can, like, I, I always see this young women. For example, at Hromatsky, I can say, for and at Hromatsky, we have three frontline teams, and uh, all of these teams is uh, young women journalists. Um, two of them are 25 and 27, I am 36. And all of us are women. We don't have men, we had one man, uh, Lyosha Bratushchak, he was mobilized um, last year, I think, at spring, at the summer, um, to to the army, and from that time we don't have uh, men correspondents anymore. 
frontline correspondents anymore uh, on the frontline. And I see the same situation in the other media. For example, Radio Liberty, they had a brilliant correspondent, frontline correspondent, Lufkostak. Now he is a uh, he is also mobilized to the army and he is press officer of uh, bodyguarders. Um, and that's why mostly we have the situation when men went to the front line, uh, went to the, to the army, uh, mostly as the soldiers, sometimes uh, they uh, were volunteers, uh, sometimes they were mobilized, uh, I say for for me, it's a very big. I don't know how to say gap for journalism for frontline journalism. Um, it's uh, the death, the uh, killing of two uh, good correspondents. Is uh, Mark Slavin who was working as a reporter and he was killed as a reporter. And Sasha Mahal, who was uh, mobilized uh, as a volunteer to the army and was killed as a soldier, Mia uh, Izum, last year. It's, uh, for, for me, it's very bad, not only as a you know, human being, but for Ukrainian journalists, it's a, it's a big loss because they were brilliant war correspondents. Yeah, many, many, many colleagues have died. We are talking uh, just a couple of days after I received the news of uh, Alexander Bondarenko, who used to work for the BBC Ukrainian service, and another colleague uh, was killed yesterday. In connection to this, uh, uh, do you think that, well, probably not, well, obviously not on the front line when they are in combat fatigues, but when the uh, Russian aggressors occupy some villages and towns, there are reports that they are targeting our colleagues in those places. Uh, have you, in uh, your tours of duty, encountered such situations, and what can you say about this? I am sure of 100% that uh, we, we are target and we always uh, talk about this uh, with my team. Should we wear a helmet with uh, this uh, press uh, word yeah, on it? Because uh, we absolutely are target and uh, you should think about your safety. And uh, also you should think how mark yourself as a journalist. And yeah, we we not uh, wear something military, of course. We always wear a blue helmet and like to recognize us as a journalist. But uh, about press word, I don't know. Now I, I, I don't know if it's a good idea to wear because... Uh, for example, this situation with uh, with uh, Ukrainian fixer and uh, Italian journalist, which was happened a couple of days ago, where uh, Ukrainian fixer was killed on the um, Antonievsky Bridge in Kherson, uh, it's absolutely like understand that. Uh, they were a target, and if it was a sniper, for example, he absolutely saw that they have this press word on the helmet, on the um, jacket. And um, he he did this. 
he or she, but I, I don't know. Yeah, he did this, um, kill, killed this Ukrainian fixer. And um, uh, all, always soldiers uh, said us, don't wear this because you are target. And also they say, if we will see some someone uh, on that side that, uh, in this press um, helmet, we also maybe think that they are not journalists, but they are like Russian propagandists, and we don't know what, like what we should do with them. And I think that on the both sides, journalists like um, from that side, I don't think that uh, journalists mostly work in there. But from our side, I think that yeah, we are we are a target absolutely. Well, this statement, uh, especially about Ukrainians, uh, I mean, specifically about Ukrainian soldiers' attitude towards Russian propagandists, may be a subject to censorship. But, of course, I won't cut it out from our conversation for several reasons. First, I know that Nastya Stanko is uh, absolutely honest in this. Second, you have to get the full picture dear listeners and uh, third i witnessed something like this during maidan uh, back in 2013-2014 when also some of our colleagues who wore this press insignia were specifically targeted by the yanukovych stooges yes yes and uh, of course nastya who was one of the most prominent streamers from Maidan knows this very well. Another question, as we as I have mentioned censorship, do you encounter cases of censorship in your frontline reporting now? Um, it's a hard question and of course I understand that some things uh, can be very vulnerable, uh, vulnerable for uh, soldiers, I mean, but I mean some uh, reason which I can understand and I can explain why we should cut something. I mean, when, for example, we are stay near some building and this building can be very good recognizable, you know, for, for Russians, for example, and we understand that we should cut this frame or we should cut some part of the frame of the video. I understand this absolutely. I never say that it's not, not normal that uh, you ask us to cut something. But if we are talking about some, I don't know, opinion, from soldiers about their commander's uh, prepar um, preparation, um, uh, something like this. I don't agree with this. I think that uh, soldiers, people who are uh, fighting for our country, fighting for us, for our lives, they have, they should have this opportunity, this possibility to talk, to talk loudly what they are thinking about everything, about everything which, uh, which belong to them, which important for them, which, uh, for example, about their commands, for example, about how uh, they are training, good or not good enough, you know? And this is the why I think it's important to say, because um, Ukraine is not Russia, of course, and we are fighting not to be as Russia. Uh, and th that's why freedom of speech, freedom of uh, saying not maybe um, 
good words sometimes. It's uh, also opportunity to change these bad things, to change, to solve some problems. And that's why journalists, uh, that's why we need journalists on the front line, I think, because journalists can listen, can show these problems to the world, can show these problems to the Ministry of Defense, for example, to the office of the president and other. Uh, because maybe if uh, soldiers or, um, I don't know, some um, colonels or whatever can't say it um, to their commanders, maybe it's, a, it's some, some problem exists. And they are talking to journalists because it's maybe the last, um, the last uh, person who they can say and it can change in that, that way through the media. And that's why I think that it's important to, to show uh, the problems and try to receive the problems, not, not to hide the problems. Anastasia Nastya Stanko is our interviewee in this podcast, Ukraine Calling for Hromatsky Radio. And since we have mentioned commanders, Have you met some real top brass of the Ukrainian army or people uh, on the level of the presidential office? And do you think that it is essential for you or other people who work on the front line to communicate and to interview such people? Uh, of course, I saw some people from president administration who are responsible for connection with frontline journalists and also for information politics, uh, let's say like this. Uh, but uh, I, I was not interviewing them from 21st of February. Uh, I, I didn't ask them about this interview because uh, as I already mentioned, and you mentioned that I'm, I'm working more mostly as a frontline correspondent only, and I, I didn't see I didn't see this uh, high-level uh, people uh, in in the front line or near the front line. That's all, you know. But uh, for example, before uh, this, for example, in 2016, uh, I was interviewing on the front line Mikhail Zabrowski. He was commander of uh, uh, Airborne Forces uh, General. And we made interview with that, with him there, and uh, now uh, he was member of parliament from uh, Poroshenko's party, and now he decided to resign from this position, and now he is he is helping Zaluznin somehow in the general of uh, general staff uh, office. Zaluznin being the Ukrainian commander in chief because not everyone who is listening to this conversation, especially, well, I mean people abroad, uh, know all the names in the Ukrainian hierarchy. Uh, Nastya, you see a lot of blood. You go through many dangers. And uh, what makes you believe that we will win and your work is not in vain? This is... A very hard question because something like believe it's uh, it's not you know 
it's not about journalism, I think, because you should uh, always think about facts, not about believing. But yeah, we should believe. I think that this is something from 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 be- you believe or not, and that's all, you know. And what what makes me feel that we will win? I think that it's mostly it's people which I interview and which I see on the front line. Some of them are not even soldiers, but for example, policemen, you know, who try to help people to evacuate and risk their lives all the day, uh, every day to do this. And sometimes it's like, you know, you, you shouldn't do this. And it's so dangerous to do it, uh, to do this, but they still, but they still do this. And for me, it's something so um, amazing. I don't know, amazing. I, I, I see this on my, own, on my own eyes, but I can't believe that I see this, you know? And that's why I believe that we will win, because so many people do something for this. To my mind, you not uh, only see it with your own eyes, you're making a weighty contribution to the final result. And I admit your point about probably not as much believing, but as knowing, knowing the facts, knowing the circumstances, and displaying them to the audience in the way that may also instill this knowledge in many, many Ukrainians who see your reports, who listen to what you say, and who are mostly mostly, because we cannot rule out some doubts, who are mostly sure that what they get from Anastasia Nastastanko is true and as close to the front line as can humanly possibly be. Thank you very much for this interview. Take care, because many, many people in this country and abroad need you. Thank you so much. You have listened to Ukraine Calling, the English-language podcast from Romaske Radio in Kiev. Our interlocutor was Anastasia Nastastanko, a Ukrainian frontline correspondent now and previously the editor-in-chief of Romaske.ua. 